0: Hey, good afternoon, church, or good morning, whatever you might be listening to this. This is Eric, and what I'm going to do right now is I've had some trouble keeping track on top of the recordings on Sunday morning as far as the audio recordings. Um, I actually lost, I think I lost my my little iPhone, my old little iPhone 5S that I had done the recording with, so I'm going to actually just record on my computer, and I'm going to record the last two sermons, um, and yeah, I'll just kind of talk to the computer and if you're out there listening, you might have missed a Sunday gathering, but here's here's the sermon. Um, this would have been from April 18th uh, is when this sermon was from, and it was the beginning of a new series that we started called ELI 5, um, and let me explain that for, for a little bit for you, but before I do, let me say a word of prayer. If you're out there listening, I just want to pray over you, and God, I'm coming before you and ask that wherever someone is hearing this sermon. That they're hearing this talk, that they're hearing your words, that this would be encouraging and uplifting and admonishing and challenging. God, that you're speaking to my brothers and sisters wherever they may be um, in and around Garden Grove, Southern California, this world. God, speak to my brothers and sisters. Thank you. Thank you for the community um, that is physically present in our church and those who are virtually present, whether online, through Facebook, through podcasting, whatever it is. Thank you, God. We're so grateful. May you speak through me today in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Um, For about the past year, I've been kind of steadily exploring the world of cryptocurrency. And you've probably heard of cryptocurrency in the news quite a bit recently, but I've just been kind of learning a little bit each day. And when I started exploring cryptocurrency, I realized how much there is to learn about it. There's kind of, I would say three main aspects of it. First off, there's the technology. And the technology is something that's called blockchain technology. Um, and, and for you to understand that, or, or maybe that's foreign to you, think about the technology, the computer science, the programming that takes place behind the internet. So that when you go to Google or Facebook or Yahoo or ESPN, that website comes up think about all the coding and the technology that's behind it so there's all this technology behind cryptocurrency a lot of people talk about this blockchain as what will be the formation of what's called web 3.0 this next generation of internet of, of online experience the second aspect of it here is the philosophy of it um, and the philosophy of cryptocurrency is called decentralized um, where a majority rules, so you have a majority of people that are that are around and and then they are making the decisions, whereas probably the the the, the financial philosophy that we're most familiar with at the moment would be centralized. Wells Fargo is centralized to one location. Um, our federal reserve is centralized to one location. So there's this decentralized philosophy. And then there's the economics aspect of it, Um, the actual investing, buying, selling, trading, shorting, um, stop limit, all the different ways that you can invest in these cryptocurrency projects. What I realized really early on is that I was over my head in all three departments. Like it was, whoa, way over my head in all three departments. So as I started studying and learning and reading, I was often directed towards something called Reddit. Um, I don't know if there's any Reddit users out there, but Reddit is kind of a community form. It's social media. It's in some senses, the wild, wild west of the Internet. Now, I'm getting somewhere with all of this because in exploring the Reddit streams about crypto, right, there is something in this. There was a subreddit. There was kind of a sub blog, a sub called ELI5 and the ELI5 is an acronym that stands for explain like I'm five. And in this, the community would take a complex issue and they would try and explain it in the simplest of terms so that a five-year-old could understand it. Now, as you think about this, there would be different rules for this, right? If you were to go on to Reddit and you were going to log on and, and try and take a swing at one of these questions, there would be different rules, right? The first rule would that be your answer would be well-sourced, right? You're not just logging on to guess. You're not just giving your opinion or random thoughts that you are actually just like you were writing a research paper in high school or college, you would source your material. The second one would be that it would be friendly. People who are engaging in these sorts of forms and contexts are here to learn and engage, and they're probably new in whatever space it is, and so that you would be friendly. Then you would use analogies and common concepts to make it relatable to this person, and that the good answers would get upvoted so they rise to the top. So for example, if you were to go on to Reddit, and one of the Reddit ELI five questions is, why are fruit and vegetables so cheap despite the time and resources needed to produce them. And there's actually about 1500 comments on this question and the better answers get upvoted to the top so that a newbie who would come in would able, be able to see a very concise, friendly, well-sourced answer that would help them understand this. And this happens all throughout the crypto, the, the cryptocurrency land as well. So, I had began thinking about this because if you're like me, you do not have the Bible com- completely figured out, right? Your theology is still a work in process. There are so many things about Jesus that might be confusing or make you scratch your head, or you just don't understand. Um, sometimes when you think about God, when you think about all these things about God, it's, it's hard, and, and these things are difficult. And in many ways, we are the little children, right? When Jesus takes the little children into his lap, we are the little children in Jesus's lap, trying to learn and study and apply the teachings of Jesus's life to ours. So what we wanna do over the next couple of weeks is look at the life of Jesus kind of through this ELI-5 lens, but we won't stop there. Um, this isn 't a Sunday school class, so it 's not you know hey boys and girls let 's talk about Jesus. This is called a heuristic device. This is a learning tool. This is something where we will start real simply, but our intent is to compound more knowledge, concepts, application so that we might understand that we are one in whom God dwells and delights, and that you and I we do live in the strong and unshakable kingdom of God. Um, One of the base elements, and this is what I think got me so excited about this series, is that the community will be doing the answering, the explaining. So I passed around a a sign-up sheet at church last Sunday, and I said, hey, you know, sign up, here's the questions, and you are going to get a chance to sign up and and take a swing at some of these questions. Um, And as you do that, you know, We'll kind of keep some of those same rules. I'd like you to kind of share for say three to five minutes. It doesn't have to be super long. Um, try and source out your, your responses. Um, you know, it's not just guessing or opinions or random thoughts. We want you to be friendly using uh, analogies, common concepts. And then there's this. So what this application step that kind of comes alongside all of this. So. Uh, we're going to be going through this the next couple of weeks, and this is going to be the series that we'll, we'll traverse through. Uh, we will look at the life of Jesus um, through a lot of these, what I would call ELI five questions, right? These explain like I'm five questions. So the first question is, why did Jesus come to earth? Okay. Why did Jesus come to earth? What we are discussing here is commonly called the incarnation. Say incarnation, children incarnation, pastor. Sorry, that was a a, kind of a reference to a a podcast I like to listen to by one of my old Vanguard professors. Um, Right, incarnation. This word, incarnation, is a Latin word. Uh, Two words, it's in plus carn or carno, which means in flesh, right? What's interesting about this, and I don't know if I would have been able to uh, say this before I studied this, is that According to the Charles Buck Dictionary, the word does not appear in the Bible. It comes from a Latin word meaning in the flesh, right? The Holman Bible Dictionary says that this is a biblical idea, but again, it's not a biblical term. Its Christian use derives from the Latin version of John one fourteen, and appears repeatedly in Latin Christian authors from about 300 A.D. onward. So if you were to take John 1.14, right, um, and the word became flesh and the word dwelt among us, right? If you were to take that and you translate it from Greek, which was probably the original language that would have been written in or Aramaic, and you translate it from that and then you translate it into Latin, that's where you get that in flesh. The word became in flesh flesh, and then that in flesh is translated, that incarno, incarnation is translated to English. That's where we get the word incarnation. Um, the reason that we are so familiar with the incarnation is because every year on December 25th, we celebrate the incarnation via Christmas, right? Christmas, the word Christmas, Christ, mas, mass again, M-A-S-S, being a Latin word, meaning missio, meaning sent, Christ was sent. And each and every year, we specifically acknowledge that Christ has come in the flesh, Right, that he was sent by God, that he grew into a man. And I'm going to kind of fill in the details in a second about his life as a man, that he died, and was resurrected and ascended to the father. And we wait upon his return to heal and restore our broken world, our broken universe. Let me end this short. This is what I would call kind of our ELI five time with a short story. There was a man who was entirely careless of spiritual affairs and died and went to hell. He was much missed on earth by his old friends. His business partner went down to the gates of hell to see if there was any chance of bringing him back. But though he pleaded for the gates to be open, the iron never yielded. His priest also went down and argued. He was not a bad fellow. Given time, he would have matured. Let him out, please. But the gates remained stubbornly shut against all the voices. Finally, his mother came. She did not beg for his release, quietly and with a strange catch in her voice, She said to Satan, let me in. Immediately the great doors swung upon their hinges. For love goes down through the gates of hell and there redeems the dead. So why did Jesus come to earth? Right. This is a question we want to answer this morning. And what I decided is I wanted to let Jesus speak in his own words and tell us why he came to earth. So there is a large section here of passages that i want to read to us um why did jesus come to earth mark one thirty-eight. jesus says let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so that i can preach there also for that is why i have come so he traveled throughout galilee preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons why did jesus come matthew five seventeen. do not think that i've come to abolish the law or the prophets I have not come to abolish them, but to fill them. Why did Jesus come to earth? Mark 10:45. For even I, the Messiah, am not here to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. Why did Jesus come to earth? The Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. Luke 19:10. Why did Jesus come to earth? John 9:39. Jesus says, For judgment. I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Why did Jesus come to earth? John 10.10, the thief comes to kill and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Why did Jesus come to earth in his own words? John 18.37, Pilate says to Jesus, but you are a king then. Yes. Jesus said, I was born for that purpose, and I came to bring truth into the world, and all who love truth are my followers. So, Jesus came to earth to preach, to fulfill the law, to serve and give humanity to serve humanity and give his life to seek and save the lost, for judgment, to give us life to the full. And to be the king and bring truth, and when I think about this, I like to call this um, the the incarnation in seven dimensions, right the incarnation in seven dimensions to really kind of round out why Jesus came to earth. So what I want to do is just kind of look at each one of those um, over the next few minutes and just say a few words on why Jesus came to earth. so the first one in mark one thirty eight that Jesus came to preach. Um, In Mark 138, it says that Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus came to preach a a gospel of repentance. And a lot of times when people hear that word repent, what what they think that that means is to stop sinning, right? You have to stop sinning, you have to somehow get religion and then start going to church but repent is an actual mind change it's a 180 you have thought one way about so many things and then you decide to consider a new way to think and be and exist i don't know if there's a better explanation of this that i've come across than dallas willard in his book the divine conspiracy when he talks about repentance for the kingdom of god is it near so Dallas tells this short story about him living as a child in an area of southern Missouri where electricity was only available in the form of lightning. Dallas was born in southern Missouri in 1935, right? So Dallas says that in his senior year of high school, the REA, the Rural Electrification Administration, extended its lines into the area where we lived. And electrical power became available to household and farms, right? So it's crazy to think that in 1953, there were areas in our country that were just getting electricity, right? So Dallas continues on. He says, when those lines came by our farm, a very different way of living presented itself. Our relationships to fundamental aspects of life, daylight and dark, hot and cold, clean and dirty, work and leisure, preparing food and preserving it, could then be vastly changed for the better. But we still had to believe in the electricity and the arrangements and understand them and take the practical steps involved in relying on it. Those farmers, in effect, heard the message, repent for electricity is at hand. Repent or turn from their kerosene lamps and lanterns their ice boxes and cellars, their scrub boards and rug beaters, their women-powered sewing machines and their radios with dry cell batteries, right? Jesus' preaching in so many ways was like the arrival of electricity. It was a new way to exist, a fundamentally different way to be in this world. Jesus in in another metaphor here offered us a new source of power, the power of the Holy Spirit that he was ushering in with his life, death, and resurrection. Jesus came to preach this message, that God's kingdom is available. The second thing um, that Jesus came to do is he came to fulfill the law. This is found in Matthew 5:17 17 in the Sermon on the Mount, right? In 19, I think when I talked to my mom about this in 1983, my parents bought their very first and only brand new car. It was a 1983 Nissan Sentra. Um, And it was a little five-speed car. It was a station wagon, little hatchback. Um, And about 12 years later, maybe 13 years later, somewhere around 1995 or or maybe early 1996 my dad taught me how to drive this car and this was the car that my dad taught me how to drive and I'll never forget he took me me and my friend Jason out Uh, it was kind of a post snowstorm time um so there weren't many cars on the road and I'm learning how to drive a clutch five-speed for the first time in the snow um and I was grinding the gears and revving the engine, popping the clutch, and my dad was trying to be patient and and teach me how to feel a clutch catching. But when you learn how to drive, maybe you have some great memories of this, or maybe some not so great memories. Did your parents simply hand you the California driving handbook, maybe the California vehicle code, and say, hey, here you go, good luck? Or did your parents actually sit with you in the car and teach you? Did they embody what it meant to drive, right? And when Jesus says that he's come to embody the law, to to fulfill the law and the prophets, right? What Jesus did is he showed us how all 613 laws were lived and and summed up in his life and his teaching and his ministry. Jesus didn't come just to hand us the California vehicle code or, or a driver's handbook and say, here, go figure it out on your own. He came to embody the law, to teach us, to to bring us this new and fresh understanding of what it was like to live in the kingdom of God. Uh, Number three, Jesus came to serve humanity, to give his life. This is Mark 1045. Just a few weeks ago, we talked about CEOs and the church and how the gifts of the Holy Spirit they actually lead us downward toward the bottom to serve. Uh, And when we're on the bottom, it is actually the top. And no other saint has epitomized this more than Mother Teresa, right? I, I showed, when I gave the sermon, I showed a picture of Mother Teresa um, because deep down we aspire to live like she lived. We know that somewhere deep within us, she lived a life that mattered, that had significance, that echoes in eternity because she gave her life in service. And her life, Right. Is one of the greatest we have ever seen. Greater than, uh, greater than any technology expert like Bill Gates or Steve Jobs or any financial wizard like Warren Buffett. Mother Teresa's life echoes in eternity. It mattered. It had significance. It had weight. Jesus came to serve. And he serves all the way to the cross in which he gives his life uh, in exchange for ours. We then went on to talk about how Jesus came to seek and save the lost, right? And when we think about the lost, oftentimes the person that comes to mind is that kind of down and out, destitute sinner we like to think about them as, you know, maybe a, some sort of an addict, whether it be a drug addiction or an alcohol addiction, um, maybe a prostitute or a prisoner or a sex offender or, you know, the atheist or whoever that might be, right? And we think about the lost that way. But Jesus is speaking these words to Zacchaeus. And when he's speaking to these words to Zacchaeus, it comes on the healing of blind, comes on the heels right after the healing of blind Bartimaeus, right? And there is this stark contrast between Bartimaeus, his blindness, his lostness, his destituteness, and that of Zacchaeus. Because Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector, an oppressor, someone on the top, someone who was successful, who was rich, who was powerful. And Ken Bailey says in, in his commentary He says that just because God often sides with the oppressed does not mean he always opposes the oppressor. It is possible to oppose the oppressor and still give comfort to them. We have to see the lost both in the bottom and at the top. We have to see the lost both as poor um, Bartimaeus, blind and on the roadside, begging homeless, as well on the top, those who have five homes, those who have 2020 vision, who are rich, who are powerful, who are successful, right? Jesus came to seek and save all who are lost. Jesus came for judgment. This is John nine thirty nine. When we hear this word judgment, specifically in relation to kind of Christian or religious things, um, half the humanity thinks that that the judgment that the Bible talks about is God. As some sort of angry Simon Cal, um, he's just sitting up in heaven, and he's generally frustrated with you, and he's examining your performance in life only to tell you all the things that you've done wrong, right? The other half t- typically thinks that the entirety of the Bible, if you could sum up in the, the, the entirety words of the Bible, it would be like, oh, just don't judge other people, right? Jesus is just up there, and he's soft and huggable, and he just... He just loves everything that you do and everything that humanity does, and there's no judgment to ever be handed out. I love the way that Dale Bruner talks about Jesus's judgment in his commentary on the book of John. Bruner is kind of, I guess, kind of paraphrasing Jesus's words, and he says this, quote, You know what? My presence all by itself, and my ministry almost unintentionally seems to work judgment dividing sheep from goats, blind from sighted. I seem to affect judgment either for me or against me by simply appearing on the scene. People divided themselves and are so judged by how they relate to me and my work. I think I did then come for this kind of judgment. What Bruner's saying is that Jesus walks onto the scene And in so many ways, he embodies the judgment, right? He almost unintentionally divides the sheep from the goats, the blind from the sighted, right? And just by appearing on the scene, it's not as if Jesus is out there judging, but people divided themselves and are so judged by how they relate to Jesus and his work. And when we think about judgment, I think that that is the the kind of judgment, not the angry Simon Cow, not the soft huggable Jesus. We can't do anything wrong. Jesus comes and does bring judgment into this world, um, almost by the way that we relate to him, by the way that we understand him, and know him, and care for him. Um, Why else did Jesus come to this earth? Jesus said that he has come to give life and give life to the full. The question I used to ask junior high kids when I was a junior high pastor, and I still ask people this too, because this is a really important question. Is God holding out on you, right? And and I would say this to them. I'd say, you know, a lot of times people think that as a Christian, right, as a follower of Jesus, as one who gives her, their life to God, life is boring, It's bland. It's restrictive. There's all these rules. You got to go to church. You're supposed to give your money away, you you know, volunteer, do good stuff. But hey, you just kind of sit here and you do all this, you know, this tedious, menial work in the meantime. But don't worry. When you die, you get to go to heaven. Right. And the question then is like, so God's just kind of holding out on us our entire life just so then we can get heaven later. But you have to come to grips with this, and you have to trust that a life with God is the best kind of life to live. God is not holding out on you. He has come that you may have life and have life to the full. Dallas, the Lord would say, that you have to make up your mind about Jesus, that he is the best person who has the best information about the most important things in all the world. That is the Jesus that we love and that we serve, the one that gives us life now and forevermore. The last uh, thing here is that Jesus comes to be king. That's the reason that he was born, that he would come to be king and bring truth. Jesus is standing before Pilate hours before he is to die, right? The conclusion of his life, the conclusion of Jesus's life, like the conclusion of the cosmos itself is summed up, I would say, in two words. King Jesus. Jesus, the king, right? Remember. 800 years before Jesus was born, right? There was a prophecy. There was a man named Isaiah who who saw something about this, this Messiah that would come, this king, this ruler, this shepherd. This, as Isaiah says, this child that is born. To us, a son is given. All of the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He, King Jesus, will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Right? King Jesus. As a matter of fact, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, which is the most famous of all prayers, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And we are asking that King Jesus, that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, I don't know uh, as we do normally with our church, and, and maybe you're listening to this, and I don't know quite where you are, but One of the ways that we continually show our allegiance to Jesus, one of the ways that we continually remind ourselves and refresh ourselves as citizens in the kingdom of heaven is to take the Eucharist, is to take the body and the blood of Jesus. Right. And we 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 put that in to ourselves. We take that those simple elements to say, yes, Jesus, I remember. Yes, Jesus, thank you. Yes, Jesus, you have are sending me into this world as one of your agents. I am one who has sent. Yes, King Jesus, here I am once again. If you're out there and you're listening to this, maybe it'll be a great time for you to pull the Eucharistic elements together. Whatever you have, it doesn't doesn't have to be anything. It could be wine, it could be juice. I know there are stories of, uh, I've heard, you know, people want to take communion, And with a sincere heart, they've used soda and Cheetos. And when you bring that sincerity there and you say, Jesus, I want you in my heart. I want to remember you. I want to thank you. I want to be sent by you. That is the Eucharist. So, ELI 5, why did Jesus come to this earth? Jesus came, as we kind of started at the beginning. Jesus came to preach, to fulfill the law to serve humanity, to give his life, to seek and save the lost, for judgment, to give life to the full, and to be king, to bring truth. I hope this sermon uh, was helpful for you, and it blessed you, and I hope that God spoke to you through it. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.